Colossians chapter 1. Thank God for your worship team. Praise God. Ministers of God. Let's read this all together with one voice. Colossians 1.18, and it reads, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you may now have your seats in the presence of God. Y'all, isn't God good? Isn't it good to be in the presence of God's people? Y'all feel all right today? Cool. Amen. Okay, let's get started. Okay, so the book of Colossians, I just want to give you guys a little bit of background on it. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the church that was gathered in Colossae. And in this book, Paul is trying to refute some heresies that have sprung up. Now, a heresy is any uh, ideology or any belief that goes against what an ecclesiastical body has said to be true. So now, they didn't really have for real ecclesiastical bodies in the early church. So basically they called things heresies that went against what came out of the mouth of God. So in this community, people were saying, you know what, in order to get access to God, you need to, you ha in order to have sin removed and get access to God, you need to follow the law. If you don't do that, you're not really saved. And some folks were saying in order to get access to God, you needed to uh, approach the angels first and have the angels intercede for you um, in order to have access for God. And then some people were saying, yeah, actually, you know, God is great and all, but it's the celestial beings, the stars in the sky that actually have some power and sanctify you and make you more and more holy. And so Paul is saying, listen, ain't none of that. No, the whole book is proving that Jesus Christ is enough, that Jesus Christ is supreme, that Jesus Christ is preeminent over all things. But listen, Paul is not only reading this church. I mean, he's, he, he gives thanks for them in the beginning of the passage. So in this passage that we just read, this is Paul's thanksgiving and prayer. And he just is like, you know what, y'all? Hey, listen, you're doing some things great. I've heard where I'm from that you guys have faith in Jesus Christ. You love each other and you have belief and hope for the renewal of all things. You have faith in Jesus Christ, you love each other like crazy, and you have hope for the renewal of all things. Who does that sound like, y'all? Us, yes, it sounds like us. And when I was reading that, I was like, this is a word for our church, this whole letter. So listen, re this letter is not written to us, but it is for us. But I think the church at Colossae, 
I mean, we have a lot of similarities. We believe in Jesus. We're united by our faith in Jesus Christ. And y'all, we love us some us. And we constantly talk about, man, in the, at the renewal of all things, when heaven comes to earth, we can't wait for that. We're constantly looking forward to that. But this letter to the uh, church at Colossae is a letter uh, necessitating, uh, showing the need for spiritual maturity. This is a it's time to grow up type of letter. Y'all have seen kingdom fruit. I know that the spirit of God is with y'all. I know that y'all believe in Jesus. Y'all name the name of Jesus. I know y'all have supernatural love for each other, but that's not enough. What you need to do is grow up in your knowledge and your understanding of Jesus Christ. Because what was happening there is that those heresies that I named before, they were creeping into the church. And people were starting to dilute their faith in Jesus Christ with these other ideologies and believe that Jesus' sacrifice, uh, sacrifice alone was not enough for them. And so Paul tells them that he sees that the gospel has been bearing fruit and growing in their city. But he issues this letter of correction, this letter of teaching, this letter of slight reproof because he does not want there to be a threat to the gospel growing and spreading. And that's a word for us. I want us to see what God has done here. It is evidence that the spirit of God is with us. Lives are changed here. People are changed here because of our obedience, because of our presence here. But at the same time, if we don't allow ourselves to mature, if we don't allow our understanding of the Holy One to increase, there is a threat to the gospel in this place that God has called us to. So the letter begins with this phrase, to God's holy people in Colossae. People is, Paul is speaking to the church in that city. So be reminded that, that this uh, gathering of folks is dissimilar from the majority of the American church today. So right now there just are so many churches and people are playing churches every, you know, I mean, we need them, I'm not saying that we don't need them, but there's just a ton everywhere. And so people can plant churches and have whole church growth models based on not like uh, proximity or location, but they have um, growth models based on demographics or preferences based on social models or how much money you earn or what educational level. People can build an entire church based on a type of person that has almost nothing to do with their location but this was not the case in the early church. The gospel was spreading like wildfire because people were sharing with those who were in closest proximity to them. He, they were sharing with their neighbors about the gospel. And these house, these house churches were catching on fire. They were loving each other, singing God's praises, teaching the word. And so when Paul talks about the gospel taking root there, he was referring to the gospel taking root amongst a group of people connected by place. Not people connected by racial or social demographics, but people connected by place. And I want us to stop and think about the power of place for a moment, because that's really important for us. Because before race or class or diversity or language or heritage, God's people had a place. Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden. They obeyed the divine mandates of God in that specific place, and it wasn't until they decided to disobey that they left that place. And then I began to think about the journey of the people of Israel. They were in slavery in Egypt, but God was bringing them to the place of promise, the land of promise, where it was a land flowing with milk and honey. God connected his promise to a specific location in a specific place. 
And even a step beyond that, that when there were travelers and sojourners that happened upon that place of promise where the people of God were, God made provisions in that, in his law, that whenever the people would come to that place, the strangers, the strangers and the foreigners would have enough to eat. They would have enough to sustain themselves. There would be room for them to experience some of the abundance of that place. And then most of all, we see Jesus who didn't come as some transcendental being, this disembodied being who just floated above the world and said, I'm here to save y'all. No, he was born in Bethlehem to a mama, to a daddy in a place. And he lived and walked in a particular place where his feet touched. He preached the gospel and souls were saved. And eventually the whole world was changed because the people of God had their feet planted in a particular place. Now, I'm not trying to idolize a place, but what I'm saying is, God has called us to this place, to where we are. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and be reminded of that, that all the other things don't matter. Once Jesus is in his rightful place in our hearts, then we can get to work bringing about the gospel and making sure the gospel has full life here in this place. So that's just about the power of place. Epistles like Colossians should hold a special weight for us because those churches are, are like us, called to a place. We live right on top of each other, y'all. I can't go nowhere without seeing somebody I know. Literally can't get out my car, like can't go to the grocery store. We live right on, and sometimes that's overwhelming, isn't it? We work together, we live together, we worship together, we be in each other's houses. People come over and be like, listen, can I borrow X, Y, and Z? Like it just happens. It's, it's who we are. Like, we can't go anywhere in the neighborhood without seeing a brother or sister. Don't let me want to have an incognito moment. It's not fitting to happen. I got to live a life of holiness all the time because I'm going to see Leslie, you know, popping up and waving at her. And just like the Colossian church, there are things to thank God for. There's kingdom fruit that sprung up that could only have come from the spirit of God. It can only be a result of the Holy Spirit stretching us and growing us. So I just want to take a minute and just recognize what the gospel has done in this place through us. Okay, so I have a question. Uh, raise your hand if you have opened your home to somebody who is basically a stranger to you. Look around. That is a pretty significant amount of people. Raise your hand, put your hands down. Raise your hand if you moved into a stranger's house for some time and they opened their home to you. Yeah, a significant amount of people. Some of us are raising our hands twice. Okay, raise your hand. Now listen, don't be, don't be shamed by this because this don't have nothing to do with nobody. This is only by the power of God that any of this has been wrought. Raise your hand if you've had any kind of need met by somebody in this body and you didn't know how else it would have been met. Come on, people of God. Look, that's amazing. Listen, there, raise your hand if you've received like an, a crazy amount of spiritual wisdom and guidance sitting on people's porch and having conversations out here with our pastor. I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't want to call anybody out or name any names, but like it's literally the kingdom of God at work in us bursting forth through us. I mean, I look at, I see Makita right there. She's out there. She has a choir in a boy's jail. In a jail. Y'all, people, that's not like a small thing. 
I don't go to the jail. Like, listen, for real. It's the work of God. It's the kingdom of God spreading itself out. It's the spirit of God stretching itself out in us that gives us these desires to go to the places that other people would rather not go, to do things other people would rather not do, to give in a way that other people refuse to give, to love in a way that other people don't feel like they have the capacity to love. That is the witness of the gospel here in this place. But we have to grow up. Huh? We can't stay there, y'all. There's so much love here. And if I had a title today, I would talk, it would be a supreme love. And I think it's so easy for us to see the ways that we've seen the kingdom of God brought to earth here. The ways uh, for us, it's easy for us to see how well we love each other and be and get drunk off of that. And to start looking at that as the source of all, as the fixer of all of our problems. We start looking to the fruit of God's power instead of the source of God's power, which is God himself. And so we become frustrated when uh, the systems and things are breaking down and we don't see as much kingdom fruit as we thought we should see. And we start blaming systems and blaming leaders, but really we've taken our eyes off of the one who's the king of the universe. Let me go back to my notes because I told Doug I would stick to him. <laughs> I did tell him that. We've extended so much love and so much grace to each other. We've been willing to forgive. We've been willing to hold accountable. We've been willing to stay at the table. But what if this expression of love is not the fullest it could be here? What if, if what, we, what if what we've known and what we're clinging to is only holding us back from seeing what God really wants to do here in this place with this group of people? You see, the people in the church at Colossae were clinging, they were looking to other things to add on to the saving power of Jesus because Jesus wasn't enough. And I don't think anybody in here would say, Jesus is not enough for me. They would never say, oh, you need Jesus plus this. But what are the things that we cling to here in this fellowship that are idols and say, you ain't a Christian if you don't do this. You ain't a Christian if not that. And we're looking to those things to prove who Jesus is, but actually we need to be focusing our eyes on the king of glory. We can become so attached to how we've seen God move in the past that it becomes all we expect of God. And maybe it becomes God. Our eyes are looking back, well, it used to be like this, and it ain't like that no more. I don't see how, you know, what's happening here. Do the leadership even pray? What are they doing? Oh, things used to be, things could be like this other church over here, but I, I don't know. And we so appreciate the way the fruit has manifested that we forget the source of the fruit. We begin to worship the expression of love that exists. And we put the God who birthed that expression on the back burner. Maybe we begin to think that the love that we've seen manifested amongst us is all we need. Just that love. The fruit is all we need, but that's not the case. And when we look to the evidence of God's love to meet needs that only the God of love can meet, we threaten the vitality of the gospel in this place. When we look to the evidence of God's love, when we look to the fruit, when we look to the tangible things, uh, uh, the tangible evidence of God's love to meet needs that only the God of love can meet, 
We threaten the vitality of the gospel in this place. We are holding back the gospel in this place. We hold it. How dare we hold back the gospel? But God knew we would be like this. This is why the word exists. So he's teaching us. When our hearts start to turn toward the evidence of God's power instead of, towards, instead of toward God's own self, it's because we aren't giving space to grow in the knowledge of the Holy One. And this isn't like the kind of knowledge that you need to become a doctor or to learn music or to learn how to break dance really good. It's a different kind of knowledge. It's like an otherworldly spiritual knowledge that only comes from the Spirit of God. We grow in the knowledge of the Holy One by deepening our understanding of the gospel, of the mission of God, and our role in that. It's a deepening of our spiritual understanding, a continual opening of our spiritual eyes. And that's why Paul is writing this letter. So at that church, their spiritual eyes could be open, and their spiritual understanding of the supremacy of Jesus Christ would reign in their hearts. This church could have gotten a letter just patting them on the back for all of their kingdom fruit. There's another letter. I think Philippians is like that. Paul is like, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. But no, here in this letter, Paul caught wind of what was going on in Colossae. He said, no, the gospel has got to keep growing. It's got to keep moving in that place. And we can't allow these add-ons to the power of Jesus to take root here. So East End Fellowship, what could be? the greatest threat to the spread of the gospel in this place. I have one suggestion. I'm sure there's, you know, 120 of us in here. I'm sure we could come up with 120 different answers, and they would be right. But what we're going to talk about today is Jesus being in the wrong place. And I say that with fear and trembling. And I know some of y'all may balk. I'm a, some of y'all is like, nope, Jesus is king of my heart. I don't know what you're talking about, honey. But hear me out, hear me out. Jesus is the exalted one. The alpha and the omega, the righteous judge, the soon and coming king. Jesus is all and in all. The one who was and is and is to come. The one who sits on the throne forever and ever and ever. He's the one holding everything together. All things were created through him. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The word was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made that was created that's talking about Jesus Jesus the word of God has existed since before the beginning all things in creation were created through him and he's right now holding everything together that's the Jesus that we serve the exalted one nothing exists that wasn't created through Jesus y'all God spoke and the word of God performs the will of the father God spoke and the word, which is Jesus, performed the will of the Father at creation. God spoke the word, performed the will of the Father, and transformed God's will into being. God, Jesus took what existed in the mind of the Father and performed it until it existed in the earth. That's the Jesus that we serve. Jesus brought what the Father wanted into existence. The Father spoke, the word worked, and brought it into fruition, everything. When God said, let there be light, Jesus performed, and there was light. 
Jesus performed and executed the will of God, bringing the desires of the Father into existence. And y'all, just as a side note, this is why what you speak is so important. Because as we are made in the image of God, no, we don't have the same kind of power, the creative power that God has when he speaks and then Jesus just performs the word. But listen, we are made in God's image. And so when we speak, there is power of life and death. When we speak, there's creative power in there. So listen, when you're speaking over your kids, when you're speaking to your children, when you're speaking to your friends, to your loved ones, speak life and blessings over them and not curses. Because honestly, we have the power to both bless and curse. We have the power to call out. We have the power to open up or to shut down. We have the power to call forth. We have the power to push back. So Jesus, getting back to the word of God, both constantly and consistently bringing about the will of the Father, literally putting on flesh to the desire and purpose of the Father is the only one through whom all things were created. And if Jesus brought about all things, let me ask you, what power does any created thing have compared to his power. And not only have all things been created through Jesus, he's holding it all together. He's right now actively sustaining everything. So we have that past action of creating all things, but then we have the present and the assumed future action of God sustaining everything, all creation. So let me ask again, what power does any created thing have in relation to its creator and sustainer? Not much. So what do we think can be added on to the power of Jesus? Why do we have this impulse to say Jesus plus this is what makes you a part of this family? Jesus plus another thing is what makes you really, truly a Christian, truly a believer. So this action, listen, as I'm saying this, all of this exalts Jesus pretty high. He was there with God in the beginning, putting flesh on the words of God, literally, I mean, framing the earth. That catapults Jesus into this high and lofty position. It's easy to see Jesus sitting on a throne away from us. It's easy to see Jesus as the high and holy Lord of the heavens. And this knowledge might tempt us to have only a distant respect for Jesus. And knowledge about creation and sustaining of all things might just leave us to consider Jesus as a distant, far-off deity, utterly beyond knowing, uh, existing in brilliance and wisdom that none of us could ever approach or know. And that's actually true. Jesus is the high and holy one, the lofty, exalted king of all things. But here's the gag. Putting Jesus on some otherworldly throne is not putting Jesus in the right place either. Because, yes, Jesus is high and lifted up, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's enthroned in glory and power forever and ever. Yes, but that's not all that Jesus is. You see, Jesus took all of that power, wisdom, glory, brilliance, holiness, authority, and light that he dwells in, and he exerted it all for you. He exerted it all for me. And that's why we can't just leave Jesus up on a throne in a, in a way that has nothing to do with us, where this high and lofty king has nothing to do with our natural lives. No, Jesus used and uses that power to ransom you, 
to rescue you, to redeem you, to purchase you, to love you, to befriend you, to intercede for you, to grant you pardon, to raise you to life, to give you abundant life, to heal you, to be your peace, to extend mercies to you day after day after day. Jesus left that lofty throne in the heavens to come and get you. So don't just sit Jesus on the throne of the heavens. Sit him on the throne of your heart. There's a one accord thing that has to happen here because I know somebody's just like, Jesus already on the throne of my heart. No, Jesus needs to be on the throne of all of our hearts here. We need to be of similar mind and vision and purpose. We have got to put Jesus in his rightful place at Easton Fellowship and in our individual lives. Because when Jesus is on the throne of our hearts, his will matters to us. We have this transcendent Jesus living and uh, existing in glory and honor forever and ever, ever. But we also have this intimate friend, buddy Jesus. The transcendent Jesus, the high and holy king, we can hide from. He's, he's busy holding the, making the world keep spinning on its axis. He got other things to think about. And then we have over here the intimate friend, Jesus. I could just get lost in his embrace, okay? Let me lay my head back and breathe against his chest. That's a, that's a real lyric to a song. It was pretty weird. We can get lost in that. But when we have the transcendent Jesus and the intimate friend Jesus, that's when Jesus can have access to us and to our will. That's when he's seated on the throne of our hearts. He could become the Lord of our lives then. Then we get to know him. And then when we get to know Jesus, we get to know the Father. We get to know the will of the Father, and we can be like Jesus. Just like when God spoke and made his will known, the word went out and, and accomplished the will of the Father. We'll know God so well. We'll know the Father so well that the Father will speak to us, and we'll go out like Jesus did and accomplish the will of the Father on the earth. But Jesus needs to be on the throne of our hearts. Just as Jesus knew the Father and knew the Father's will, the intimacy with the transcendence of Jesus gives us access to accomplishing the Father's will in its fullness. The right place for Jesus is on the throne of our hearts. Yes, Jesus is still the exalted Holy King of Heaven, seated at the right hand of a Father. But he also needs to be on the throne of our hearts. Would we dethrone what's there? And we've all got something there. I continually have to push clear the dust off the throne, push whatever I think I want, I deserve, whatever I give myself to more than I give to Jesus. I continually have to dethrone my idols and place Jesus exactly where he needs to be so that I can be submitted to his love. At the throne of Jesus, we know the love of the Father, we know the love of the Son, we know the love of the Spirit, and there we can bow and submit to it, and it's a supreme type of love. It goes beyond the love that we think we have amongst each other. That kind of love gives intimacy and helps us know the will of the Father. It's more than just being submitted to God. And it's more than just experiencing God's love. It's both of it together. It's being submitted to his love. We are submitting to the, to the love of Jesus Christ. And it's that love that spurs on the gospel message. It's that love that changes hearts and changes lives. And when we're submitted to Christ's love, we are changed by it again and again and again. And the, and the fruit of the gospel can spring up 
everlasting. It can be renewed, blowing our minds again and again, operating in a way that we have not expected. So how do we submit to Christ's love? One, recognize that in a radical act of supreme love, Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice for sin, and Jesus is the only way to God. Release yourself and release others from the expectation that anything else can do that. Nothing else can bring you to God outside of Jesus Christ. Release yourself from that expectation and release other people. Two, have a pattern of repentance. That's real, y'all. Jesus frees us from sin, but we go back to those patterns quick. We start trusting what we can see in our eyes, and we start thinking, God don't really love me like he say he love me. Let me go fix it on my own. Let me go do my own thing. God's taking too long. That's really where most sin comes from, because we don't believe God loves us. Most willful sin. Live the life you were intended. Repent quickly and often. Move forward. Listen, I feel like this is such an immense trick of the enemy, y'all, that it makes me so sick. That we get caught in our sin, and it paralyzes us. And it keeps us from doing and being who God created us to be. We get so caught in the cycle of, of, of shame and guilt that we can barely lift our eyes to the Father and receive the forgiveness that he so abundantly and freely offers. Keeping caught in a rhythm of just sin and hiding from God, that keeps us from living our best life. And listen, Jesus promised that we could live the abundant life that we're after. Repent quickly and repent often. Sin will happen. Those patterns will happen. Repent and move forward because Jesus, he died so that power over sin would not hold you. So one, recognize that Jesus is the only way to God. Two, repent quickly and often. Live life as you were intended. And three, be a witness of the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Open up your mouth and be a witness of God's love. In your life, yes. In your neighboring, yes. But also share with the world that Jesus completely satisfies. That life with Jesus is better than life without him. That life without Jesus isn't life at all. That only Jesus offers eternal and abundant life. And after you do that, repeat as necessary. Go through that again and again, recognizing your need for God, recognizing that Jesus is the only way to God, repenting quickly and, off and often, and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we need to cling to at Easton Fellowship. Cling to acknowledging Jesus as the way to God. Cling to having a posture of repentance and clinging to being a witness of the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what faithfulness looks like here. And that's what we need to have as, uh, just as our mission, just as who we are, as our identity. We should be known as people that that is true for. I'm going to invite the band back up. Before we have communion, which David is going to lead us in, you may be here and you might be saying, listen, I, I just came just to see what this is all about. 
I'm not really sure about Jesus. I'm not really sure about the faith. I'm not really sure about a lot of this stuff. But what you're saying about this radical love, this supreme love, I want part of that. If you're here and that's you, we would love to pray with you. There's going to be people along the walls, stationed along the walls, that are going to be willing to pray for you. Those of you guys who have been in the family of God for some time, hear the word of the Lord, soften your heart and respond. We all have to go through this acknowledging as Jesus that Jesus is the only way, dethroning those idols that clutter our hearts and recognizing that Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us is the only way to God. And we should turn away from those things that lie to us and tell us that we need something else in addition to Jesus. So David, I'm going to call you up and I'm going to pray for us really quick. Father, thank you for your spirit and for your presence. God, I pray that we would see you as the exalted one that desires to be close to us. The exalted one that lives in us. The exalted one who shows a love that we could never even deserve, but yet you give it to us so freely. We thank you for loving us so well, for being our peace, for being our hope, for interceding for us, for ransoming us, for rescuing us. For loving us, for being our hope, for loving us, for persisting in your love, for leaving that place of grandeur and coming to earth. We yield to you, God, acknowledge you as King and as Lord. We submit to you.